Well, good morning, Hope. We're glad to be able to be together here again this morning. Um, I've loved hearing from people. I know I've mentioned something about this when we first moved back over to the big auditorium here, but isn't it great to be able to hear one another better in here and be able to see one another's faces? It's just such a blessing to us. And so we're glad to be able to be together. If you're here for the first time, we welcome you. My name is Jeff Brewer. I'm one of the pastors here. And so we have the privilege now as we're going to have this time to open up God's word and spend some time. And what we do when we open up God's word is we recognize God power belongs to you and steadfast love belongs to you, and we have the opportunity to see his power through his word, to understand his love towards us in Christ all the more. And so that's my prayer this morning here. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you, I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 3. You can open up. Colossians 3, I'm going to start in verse 5. Jared, I think I didn't make that note there. You might want to start the text there in verse 5, and I'm going to read through verse 17. Let's listen to God's word. This is after Paul tells us to set our minds on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. He says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these two, you, you too once walked when you live or living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Jew, Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank you for this privilege that we have to be able to open your word, to be able to be nourished by your word through the power of your Holy Spirit working in us. Father, I can't possibly know all of the things that have happened in people's hearts this week, all of the activities that have gone on, the difficulties, the pain, the struggles, the trials, the sin. Father, I thank you that you do. You know us each completely. You know what each one of us needs to hear from your word this morning, and so we thank you that we can come before you and we can be expectant to hear from you from your word because in your word there is power that reveals you. So, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be pleasing to you. O oh, Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, John Newton wrote the hymn, Amazing Grace, a song that's been sung more times around the world than any hymn ever written. And as we've talked about it on many occasions here before, it really was Amazing Grace that defined the life of John Newton. You might know well the story about how John Newton was a slave ship captain and he carried slaves over into America over and over again and he lived his life with reckless abandon. He lived his life seeking his own self and his own sin to the point where on one crossing on the way way to America, there was a great storm. And Newton, although he was just so enamored with himself, in the midst of this storm, came to the end of himself and cried out to God. It surprised even him that he would cry out to God in that moment because he didn't think about God at any of the other points in his life. But in the days and the weeks and the months that would follow, he was converted and he was saved and he was forgiven. And he recognized it was all by God's grace that he would save one such as him. It was the defining moment in his life. And I say all this about John Newton because one of my favorite quotes actually isn't from Amazing Grace, but something I think that really pertains to Colossians chapter 3. This great quote that he said when he was a pastor, reflecting back on his life, he said this, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world, but still I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. But I am still not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, as we've been looking at Colossians chapter 3 here, where Paul's been reminding the people of who they are in Jesus. He's he's reminding them what they have put on when they put on Christ and all the love and the grace and the forgiveness that they have. And what Paul's reminding them is he's saying to them, you are not what you once used to be, but by the grace of God, you are who you are because of Christ. And yet, I'm sure, like you, you like me, you can kind of agree that I am not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world. That you probably resonate with that when you look at your life and you see the struggles with sin that you still have and against the desires and the flesh and the temptations that you face in this world. You know, he was recognizing what we all feel. Even though we know the truth about who we are in Jesus, we also know very acutely that our lives don't always reflect the reality of how we live. And so as Christians, we're growing and we're maturing and we're becoming who we already are in Jesus. And so that's why as we've spent this time in Colossians 3 and starting last week, we really kind of picked up this phrase, be who you already are in Jesus. That's your call as a Christian, to be who you already are in Jesus. And we're going to pick that up again this week because I think it's still the main point of the passage we're in. And so last week we focused primarily on verse 5, which Paul spoke about putting off the old self, especially in regards to sexual immorality. And this morning I want us to turn again to the section of commands that both the negative and the positive and the put off and to put on in Paul's language 
and it's language that he's using in order to help us with our personal relationships. And so I want us to see, what I want us to do here this morning is, I want us to see, be reminded of two reminders of who you are. So in last week's words that we use, kind of the indicative and the imperative, the indicative is a statement of grammar terms, statement of truth about who you are. We need to remember who we are, and Paul talks about that here. And so there are two things I want us to remember about who we are. And then I want us to turn to the imperative, to the commands, to what Paul is calling us to specifically about how we're to live. So let's look first here at who you are, and we'll spend the most time in this point who you are, you are being renewed. Who you are, you are being renewed. Look back with me again at verses 9, at the end of verse 9 into 10. You have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, notice here, you have put off the old self with its practices. The, the way that you used to act in practice, demonstrated the way that you thought internally, the way that you lived and the way you grew up or the, the, th- the things that you thought were very natural. The way that you lived, the way that I live, reflected the heart that we had. And before Christ, we were dominated by our flesh, by sin. You know, Paul says elsewhere, we were slaves to sin. And so in this old slavery, our old self, our old nature, Our old self pursued sin apart from God. But now, Paul is wanting us to remember, you've been changed. You're a new person. You were dead, now you're alive. And you're alive to God because you rose with Christ. You've been united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. But, Paul's wanting to remember and to remind us, you're still living in the flesh The power of your sinful nature is broken. You have new desires, but in the flesh, you're now still in the process, like Paul says here, of being renewed. So look again here at verse 10. He says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16, Paul said it this way. He said, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. You know, when I was looking at that verse this week, I was thinking about bananas. And I was, I was thinking about bananas because, I don't know about you, there, there are the three colors of banana, the green, the yellow, and the like sickly, ugly brown. And I don't, like, I don't know about you, but just it's, they're always brown. Like no matter how, I buy them and they're green and the next day they're brown. And it's just this kind of constant thing. And so I was thinking about bananas when I was thinking about this process of the outer self wasting away and the inner self being renewed. That like naturally we think about our lives in, in some sort of sense of when we're in decay, we, we're, our lives are kind of falling apart. And we see that a lot of times in people's lives that they don't necessarily get better on the inside. The inside reflects the outside. But what Paul's saying here is actually, as you mature in Christ, even though the outer self is wasting away, it's, it's turning kind of brown and you're, it's wasting away. You're, you're, we're all in the process of dying, to put it kind of optimistically. We're, the inside is still new. It's new and it's fresh. And so one day, 
the outside is going to reflect, is going to match the inside when we're in heaven. But today, the outside is decaying, the inside is being renewed. And so, being renewed then means we're not yet perfect on this earth, even though in the eyes of God, we're clothed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. You know, somebody once said that we're genuinely new, although we're not totally new. So if you're a Christian here this morning, you have been changed. You are genuinely a new person. But outwardly, and even in this life, you are not totally new yet. That will wait until the not yet, until we go to heaven. Here's one theologian, Anthony Hokema. He said this, A once-for-all change of direction is to be accompanied by daily progressive renewal. The Christian is a new person, but he or she still has a lot of growing to do. So it's a once-for-all change. You were made alive. That is a once-for-all moment-in-time event where God declared you righteous and new because of Christ's work. And that is, his work is finished. But that finished work is to be accompanied by a daily progressive renewal because we are, in Christ, we are still in the flesh and we're in Christ and we're still growing in him. You know, so, but look again at verse 10. Paul says we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so the renewal is happening by what we understand and by what we know to be true. And so our minds are engaged in this process of renewal. It's not just a matter of kind of outwardly doing and checking the right boxes or doing the right rituals. Paul's wanting us to see here that we're being renewed in knowledge What we understand about our true state is affecting how we live. The indicative of who we are is is affecting how we live in the imperatives. And specifically here, he says, being renewed in knowledge, look, after the image of its creator. What Paul's pulling out here is this concept that's really, I I think, you know, Anthony Hoka, who I, I mentioned earlier, he said one of the things, he wrote this back in the late 70s, he said, one of the things that the church needs to think more about is about the doctrine of mankind in that who we are created in God's image and how that image has been marred and distorted because of sin. And so, because we're so, we're so tempted to look inward and have everything be about ourselves, he was saying, we need to really understand what does the Bible say about who we are so that we can then apply that and see have Christ applied. And what we need to be remembered is, reminded of here is we are made in the image of God. We were created by God, male and female, in the image of God, uniquely to glorify him, different than any of the other animals. We can give him glory. We can praise him in unique ways. We can reason with our minds. We can love. We can sing. We can celebrate in all a very uniquely human way that's been made after the image of God. But this image of God at the fall, it was marred and it was distorted. You know, our our sinful natures act contrary to our image-bearing status. So to be renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator 
it means that the way that we think and the way that we interact with the world has to be made new. Look, and we've talked about this already as we've been looking at Colossians chapter 3. Just because we think a certain way and it's a very natural way of thinking and it might be everybody around us thinks in that same way doesn't mean that that is the way that God thinks. And so that's why he gives us his word to be renewing our minds after the image of our creator because God made us and he defines who we are and he defines reality and he defines who we are and how we interact with that reality. And so the purpose of redemption in this life is to be restoring the image of God in ourselves and for others to see. And so I think that's just a a remarkable kind of thing that Paul's pulling out here is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. It's a visible renewal. It's, It's happening in our knowledge, but he immediately is then going into what this looks like outwardly. Now, we, we all remember, like John Newton, with that quote we started with, we're all broken by sin in innumerable ways. We're, we're still being broken by the effects of sin in this world. We're still maybe dealing with things that happened in our past. We still struggle. We still stumble in many ways. So as Christians then, what Paul wants us to understand is We must have our minds renewed day by day through his word by coming to truth about him. Now let me, before we move off of this point here, let me give two brief pictures to illustrate how this is happening. An antique watch and a 747 jumbo jet. Now, I, I can waste a lot of time on Instagram watching how things are built or kind of see how things taken apart. I don't know. They obviously have the algorithm filled out, figured out for me because every video that pops up there is something being taken apart or something being built, or, and, it's, and it's all fascinating. I can just watch it. And so one of the things I saw was a, an antique watch, how they restored this watch that had been, I think, a grandfather's or something from way back, and it was in World War II, but it had, the glass was broken, the inside was so dirty, it was just, it was just forgotten about in a drawer. But they painstakingly kind of take, took it apart, took the glass off, took the face off, took the, the hands off, and then they got into the gears and with tiny tweezers and the, those magnifying glasses in their eyes, they're taking off every little gear and they're, they're cleaning them meticulously. You know, one way that we renew our minds is learning to think about how God views the world and submitting ourselves to him and saying, okay, God, there's a lot of stuff in here that's going to need a lot of delicate surgery. And so would you do your work in me? Would you help me? And, and, and one of the things that can be both encouraging and discouraging is it might be a great big gear that he pulls out and he cleans and you think, this is so much better. This seems like my life is going to be fine now. And then he pulls out another little gear and he says, this is going to need some attention now. And, and on and on he goes working in us and he's faithful to be intricately working in our hearts. And so we can trust that God is going to be working in us every day of our life, no matter how old we get. Our goal should be to be yielding ourselves to the Spirit and saying, would you shape me and would you mold me and would you work in me? Now, the, the second illustration is a, a jumbo jet. There's another kind of work that when, in renewing our minds, which we might call kind of a maintenance renewal. 
You know, when you take a trip and when you get onto a plane and you look around, you can see the pilot walking around the whole plane and they're, they're doing the pre-flight check. They're doing a post-flight check. They're, they're seeking to make sure that the landing gear is working properly, that all of the, the sensors have the little flags taken off of them so that they can be ready to go and kind of picking up the right data as the plane is in the air. And so they're doing maintenance and they're being proactive And that's another way. It's not just God identifying and cleaning and working in our hearts. There's also a maintenance work where we're proactively going and we're saying, okay, just because I fought against lust or greed or kind of fill in the blank, just because I fought against that in the past doesn't mean that battle is over. It's a constant, like do a pre-flight check in the mornings, a post-flight check in the evening. Okay, Lord, help me. Where did I fall? Where did I stumble? Where do I need help to be thinking rightly in my mind? And so we could summarize really this whole point by saying, your new self is being renewed into the true image of God that he made you to be. So you might think your, your true self is kind of, who am I really? And you, you know, I remember Jen and I talk a lot about it in, in our 20s. We felt like we spent our whole 20s just trying to figure out, who am I really? What do I really like? You know, and, and we can do that with our whole lives. It's not just in our 20s. But what we need to see is God has made you. He's made you uniquely, and he's shaping you, and he's one, you are in the process of your new self being renewed into this true image of God that he made you to be. Now, let's turn to our second reminder about who you are. Second reminder. Who you are, you are united with others who are being renewed. So if your call is to be renewed and you're being renewed, you are united with others in the church who are being renewed. So look with me at verse 11. Because I, I think what we need to do is we need to see the connection between renewal that we're called to personally and how this impacts our relationships. So our vertical and our horizontal. Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. In Paul's mind here, there's a distinct connection between our call as a Christian to put off the old self and how that impacts our relationships with others. Specifically here, that there's unity between all people. And so what used to be in this list that Paul's listing here, what used to be dividers, between Jew and Greek, barbarian, slave, free, all of these dividers that kind of the world uses and we could fill in our own blanks about how the world divides itself today. What Paul is saying here is there is unity for all those who are in Christ. That's what unifies us. And so Paul's showing that the distinctions that people might have been divided over in the past in the flesh should no longer divide And he concludes with, Christ is all and Christ in all. Which which really means that our whole life, Christ is all, our whole life comes from Christ. You know, all I have is Christ, like we just sang. It's in Christ alone that a person is saved. And so when we come to the table here in a little while and celebrate the Lord's table together, what we're doing is we're recognized it's only in Christ. Christ is all is all. And this same Christ who is all for each person who trusts him is in all through his spirit 
You know, so we're united with a unity far greater than what would have divided people before between Greek and Jew. Now we're unified in a far greater way because we're in Christ. And so since there's a unity with other believers, we now share the same call to be renewed and rooted and established in Christ. And so this is where I think the really important kind of connection that we need to make here is the greatest thing that we can be doing to build unity isn't just sitting around and talking about unity. The biggest thing we can do to build unity is to be growing personally in our faith and talking about that pursuit with others, to be engaging with others about these things, about how God is at work in us and how God is at work in them and sharing true fellowship around what God is doing in our lives. You know, we make mission groups available for our growth as Christians because it puts in a concentrated time each week where we can be spending time with other people. And because we recognize if we don't have that time carved out, weeks and weeks and weeks can go by. We spend time in our men's and women's Bible study studying the word. We meet individually with one another. The church as a whole is strengthened when believers grow together in unity. You know, I, I was reminded this week about the, the giant sequoias out in California. And, you know, the biggest one, the General Sherman, I think is its name, is 275 feet tall. But the, all these sequoias, they don't have a taproot. So what that means is probably the tree that's in your backyard has a root that's going down deeper into the ground than a tree that's 275 feet tall and however big around. You know, you can drive a car through. It's so big around. But what they do have is they have a uh, root system that goes out far beyond and those root systems, even though they're only at most 10 foot deep, they kind of feather out and those root systems interlock with all of the other sequoias. And so all of the sequoia trees are making the other trees stand up in the midst of all the great storms and wind. They're holding up each other because their roots are locked together. Look, I think... We're tempted to be just a great lone tree and just say, if I can just go deep with God, then I'm going to be fine. I can be my myself. I don't really need other people because, frankly, other people can let me down. But I think with a picture, though, is God's designed us so that our roots do go into Christ and we're rooted and established in him, but there were also, he's made us to be together in a community so where our lives are intertwined with others. And the more connected you are with those seeking to grow in Christ, the stronger you become because that's how God designed his spirit to work in the church. So, who you are. Now then, what specifically is he talking about here? So let's turn last here this morning to specifics about how we might grow together in Christ. And so, who you are, you've been united with others, with Christ. Now, how do we grow in together in Christ-centered relationships. So look with me again at verses 8 and 9. Paul gives this list. So last week he gave a list that was focused mostly on sexual immorality, sexuality. But in verses 8 and 9 he says, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so the old self was identifiable by its practices. 
You can look back at your old self and you can say, this is how I know I was marked and defined by this kind of sinful nature because of how I lived, because of how I thought. So it's definable. And this list of what must be put away here, it really, it focuses on the negative responses to others. Anger, malice, slander, lying. You know, think, think about anger as an example. Anger is a response that reveals our hearts. You know, we know from Scripture, anger isn't always wrong. Sometimes anger can be very appropriate. It can be a response to injustice and sin in the same way that God's anger is justified. You know, we can be righteously angry, and our response to injustice, it reveals our heart that God be glorified. But, honestly, most of the time, our response to anger is, is negative. You know, in, in Proverbs, when it speaks of anger, it's speaking of it entirely in this negative way. And our response to anger is kind of like dashboard lights that reveals the idols that we've set up in our minds and our hearts, and we, go, we grow angry when those idols are disrupted. And so if we think back, and we're really candid about our last week, we very quickly realize that, that most of our anger wasn't a result of loving the holiness of God, But most of our anger stemmed from loving ourselves and protecting our own kingdoms and protecting our own idols. You know, so Paul talks about anger here. He he brings up wrath, and Paul's just brought up the wrath of God, which is from his holiness, and it's a response to sin. You know, our wrath, what we need to remember is, isn't always justified because we don't always know the whole picture. And so we leave him to be the judge. He is the one who can rightly display wrath. Malice, he goes on, slander. Ways that we can speak to tear down rather than build up, you know, which he, he mentions obscene talk as well. In, in obscene talk, it's really a broad category. And, and this is, a, it includes crude, crude joking and it also includes cursing. And so if you're looking for a place and you're kind of saying essentially, and, and I remember before I was even a Christian, I was, I was down in, we, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, and I was down at a church with some friends and they were so excited because they went to a church that their pastor just cursed all the time and they were just so eager to tell me that. And I wasn't even a Christian. I remember thinking, that's kind of weird. That just doesn't, that doesn't sound right to me. And I didn't even, I didn't, I didn't even know Christ at all at the time. And so if, if you're tempted to think, oh, God doesn't care about our words, or our language, that's just the language that everybody uses I think that we know there are ways to speak that are crude. There are ways to speak that are cursing. There are ways that don't build up. And Paul's telling us to put those away. That might be once how you once lived, but that's not you any longer. Put those away. He then concludes, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And so we think about all of these things and anger and wrath and malice and slander and lying. All of those things destroy trust. That's how you used to live. Wasn't a big deal. Everybody lies. Everybody acts this way. Everybody gets angry. You'd be angry too. But he doesn't just speak of our relationships from a negative, put off these things. Look at verses 12 through 14. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. 
And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now, notice a few things here. We're going to keep kind of going and looking at kind of this big picture next week. But look, notice here that he reminds us again of who we are. Who we are. Look at what he says here. He says, verse 12, that we are God's chosen ones. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. We are holy. We are beloved. We're not chosen by God because we did something right and choosable by God. We're not loved by God because we did something lovable by God. We're not holy because we made ourselves holy and kind of pulled ourselves up and kind of made God look at us and be impressed with us. But we're cleansed by the blood of Christ. We're loved because God chose to love us in a way that we can't comprehend because if we look at ourselves honestly and we look how we lived our lives, we're shocked that anybody could find us lovable. But what he says to put on here, if you, if you kind of put everything in light of who Jesus is and who, what you can put on in terms of putting on Christ, we put on compassionate hearts like Jesus who was filled with compassion for the multitudes. We put on kindness like our Savior who drew near to us. We put on humility, like the one who humbled himself to the point of death and served, even though he was the one who deserved being served. Put on meekness, which meekness means we, we bow our knees before the Father and we're serving him without resistance, like our Savior who demanded nothing and who yet yielded himself and willingly gave of himself. Patience, like our Savior who was patient towards us even when we were rebelling against us. And when somebody has a complaint, we can forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And so there's a tie right here. And what we have to see is from how we are to live is tied with the gospel. It's the functional centrality of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, and how that has to impact how we live. That's at the center. Why do we forgive? Not just because that's a good thing to do, we forgive because we've been forgiven. Why do we love? We love because he first loved us. Why do we have patience? Because he was patient with us. Why are we compassionate? Because he was compassionate with us and, and kind and humble and meek. And so, you know, in both this list as well as the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians and the armor of God in Ephesians, the things that we're to put on, the way I think, the best way to understand them is not how the world understands those characteristics, but to see all of them in light of who Jesus is. We are clothed in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We can now live our lives putting Christ on display. You know, I heard a long time ago about a student in seventh grade, who wrote three sentences on the outside of her notebook and just had it sitting on her desk corner. And she said uh, on, this, on this notebook, God first, others second, me last. God first, others second, me last. And that, those three sentences, those kind of three couplets that were there, changed her teacher's life because her teacher walked by, looked down and said, who thinks like that, especially a seventh grader? And which got that lady, the teacher, thinking and exploring. And she came to find out that this girl was a Christian and it was driving how she interacted and it could change even her heart in seventh grade. 
She was seeking in her way to be clothed with Christ and how she related and how she cared for others around her. And so as we conclude here this morning, maybe a, a question to be having or a couple of questions to be having in your minds, as especially as we prepare for our mission groups this week. Does how Jesus interacted with others drive how you interact with others? Does how Jesus show compassion and love and meekness and hum- humility and patience and all these things, is that driving how you interact? So the second question is, how might your week be different? How might your family be different? How might your workplace be different if you go into it seeking to put off those things that would tear down and put on this attitude of Christ? Because brothers and sisters, remember, God has chosen you. He has made you holy in Christ. He has raised you from the dead and he has made you alive. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And so now your call in what you put off and what you put on is be who you already are in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you don't leave us alone. You give to us your word. You fill us with your spirit to enable us to hear and to see. You shape and you change us, sometimes painfully, making us aware of things in our lives that need to change. We thank you that you are more committed to our growth than we could ever possibly be. So, Father, help us to submit to you. Father, would you help us to be a proactive people, who are seeking to practice these things and put on Christ in such a way that displays Christ for all to see. That the way we live our life would be truly countercultural because it's focused on Jesus. Would you help us to be who we already are in Jesus for a watching world who desperately needs a Savior? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.